Welcome to our episode about the Jerusalem Pine. Today is a day where I have begun the day by making mistakes. How about you? Well, you, you cannot, I told you a few times by now that you cannot make a mistake fundamentally. <laughs> so it's fine. Me too, I, yeah. I'm making mistakes every day. Yeah, yeah, but I sent Mark Stevens, the train guy, a text that I was supposed to send to someone else. <clears throat> and it says, I'm eating slightly burned Danish with chocolate ice cream. And then there's a picture of a chair in front of a television. So I'm pretty sure that Mark, uh, our train expert and bridge guy, is wondering why is she sending this to me? But just a note to our listeners, uh, Mark Stevens notified uh, me last night that he lives, he does live in a small town outside of Detroit, um, Michigan, but they had a huge storm come through there and it blew out all the power. So he has very limited phone uh, uh, electricity on his, his phone and he will be re uh, postponing our episode on the blue water bridge but <clears throat> well i don't even know what to say after all that <laughs> it seems like you're trying to apologize also that, apologizing to myself i should have okay. looked at who i was sending it to when i hit the send button and then i looked at the top of the screen and it said mark train so I have you Mark that, Stevens the second yeah. listed as phone contact instead of Mark Stevens the second, which is official name. I just have him listed as Mark Train, but I realized the other day that that kind of looks like Mark Twain, T W A I N. But I like that. Well, the thing with technology is you have to be careful because with all these messengers, it's easy to confuse one name with another and send the message to not the person you were intended to. Alejandro Jesus Puente, I confused with Mark Train. You confused the windows because you type the text you don't usually see oh, who this window uh, attributed to. And then you, if you talk to similar people at once, it's easy to send uh, one person the message instead of another. I've done that, that a few times. I thought it's very, very dangerous if something sensitive is involved. Yeah. I mean, I'm not even talking to anyone. It's 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 uh, 5.30 in the morning in Dallas. Everyone's asleep. I'm pretty sure Mark Train is asleep. And uh, Alex is asleep. All of Dallas is asleep. Only I'm awake making foolish mistakes, which brings us to our episode about the Jerusalem pine. I have heard it called the Aleppo pine. Oh no, I've never called. I've never heard that. Why did you start thinking about it the other day? I like the name. The Jerusalem Pine sounds majestic. You were just sitting at your desk and you thought, "I like the name Jerusalem Pine." No, I was driving. I was at the wheel. I thought, "Is not Jerusalem Pine? Isn't it like the great, uh, uh, what's that called, poetic line?" to call something Jerusalem pine. Yeah, because the tree is the usual. We have lots of them here, very much the same in Russia. 
I don't know if it's the same species or not, but uh, yeah, they look very much the same. But if you say Russian pine, it sounds ordinary, but you say Jerusalem pine, that sounds something. How well, far... you know, yeah, yeah, there's, um, yeah, I think I think that I should write a poem about that and you should write a song about the Jerusalem, something that has the Jerusalem pine in it. What do you think about that as an idea? I, I don't know, how can you write a poem about scraggy, skinny, and needly, and just whatever, it's not, tree? That is, okay, that is, it's not, it's not a description. It is, a, it's the sound, Jerusalem pine, and then the, it can rhyme with mine, and thine, and it can be about, it can be about, like, going up the little mountains and transcendent experiences in life. Not mountains, forests, then, because they, they have a whole forest here. I'm sure they have whole forests down there in Jerusalem, too, full of these trees. Well, I've oh, seen them yes. in... No, I've seen them in Turkey, and I've also seen them in Italy. They are a Mediterranean. This is just my experience. They are a Mediterranean, like the olive tree. And, and the Bible is full of all these references to uh, the pine and the olive. And uh, I don't know. Uh, I, I, I want to write a poem about that. I am going to write a poem about that. And yeah, you, you should mention the Aleppo pine, too, because you said it's the same thing, right? Well, I looked up um, online because you were mentioning something about the um, Jerusalem pine. And I just looked it up and it said, AKA, also known as the Aleppo pine. And then I like Aleppo. Aleppo is in Syria. Yes, but it's also the uh, Syria, Aleppo, and Gaziantep, which is an eastern town in. Uh, this is such a great story. I hope you're listening. Uh, Gaziantep, Gazi means warrior. So Gaziantep um, is uh, where my. Uh, former husband's father was from Gaziantep, and then he, he moved into Ankara. But Gaziantep and Aleppo are all on the same trade route, thousands and thousands of years old. So the um, the Aleppo pine is actually called the Pinus halepinus. No, not penis. <laughs> Excuse me, I said the word penis. <laughs> it, that was funny. Pinus halepensis is the name of it. It's called the Aleppo pine, also known as the Jerusalem pine. It is a pine native to the Mediterranean region. And also there is a part of uh, Turkey that's in the eastern part of Turkey, where they have this very, very, very famous ice cream and it is made only from uh, one, two, three, four, one, two, three, four, five ingredients. So if you're at a really swanky ice cream shop in Istanbul or Ankara, like, like something like the Champs-Élysées in Paris or like some super luxe store, it's called Marash Dondermasi. So Donderma means ice cream and Marash is a shorter name of Karaman Marash. So, you know, like Karaman Marash, it's located in the southern, uh, southeast part of Turkey on the slopes of these mountains. 
And by mountains, I just mean this kind of craggy rocks. They're not like super high mountains. But uh, the, the ice cream is made from mastic, which is the resin of the pine. It drips out of the tree. Thalep, which is a type of flour, goat's milk, sugar, and cinnamon. So the pure uh, marash ice cream that's served in the most expensive shops of Istanbul and Ankara, it comes from this region down in, you know, Aleppo, Gaziantep, uh, Karaman Marash. And I didn't even know that I had stored that information in my memory. And sometimes the, when we talk about things, I feel kind of overwhelmed by there's like so much stuff to retrieve in my brain. Well, thanks for sharing. And now we're taking another <laughs> call from our listener in. <laughs> now, just imagine for a second that I'm a radio host and stuff. Uh, you smelled, you said the resin. I, 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 um, I recall how I told you the other day that I love that the uh, resin sand they, they have. The pines. Yeah. If, if you're in the pine forest, there is a sand. I couldn't describe it. I couldn't find a word. Maybe it's not resin, but to me it is. Yeah, yeah. It's it's very popular. Like, like when you go to a perfumery and they ask you what notes you like. Like like when you, when you drink, some people like vodka, some people like bourbon, some people like rum. When you go to pop, buy perfume or scents or cologne, at some of the real swanky shops, they ask you what are you, what's in your your scent profile. And I like cedar, and I like sandalwood, and I like I like uh, this uh, uh, perfume by Fendi. But but you said you like the way it smells, so I think I think some of the perfumeries for perfume people, um, some of them will right outside of Paris. There are some places that have these huge rose rose farms that have, you know, acres and acres of roses that are crushed for little tiny drops of rose oil to go into perfume that smells like roses. But this resin that comes from these trees, they actually use it uh, in different colognes and perfumes. But, but I had forgotten it's also gathered and used in um, to make this ice cream, which has a slight I've had it before. It has a slight cedar uh, taste to it. It sounds weird, but it's so good, especially if it's in a really pretty glass and it's, it's a place where you can sit in a cafe and watch people. Okay. Have you ever been to Jerusalem? Because you've been to Turkey, you traveled to all over the Middle East. I thought maybe you've come across. No, I haven't. But a lot of people from the United States, especially from my parish, uh, they go on these uh, kind of pilgrimages, pilgrimage. And um, one of the last pilgrimages that they made was to Moscow and to St. Petersburg. And then before that, a whole group went to Jerusalem. But I, I did not go to Moscow and St. Petersburg, and I did not go to Jerusalem. Oh, neither did I, but maybe one day I will. I would love to. I don't know why, but the older I get, the more I want to visit Jerusalem. Yes. Is it, well, is you know, it safe what's in, for, for a tourist? Um, I don't think any place is safe. Dallas is not safe. Moscow's not safe. Uh, 
Mark is right outside the Great Lakes. He just went through like a tornado power outage. Uh, there were shootings down in Mexico. People are throwing kids back into the Rio Grande. And and uh, I mean, I okay, well, I know that in Jerusalem that there is a tomb that is supposedly a tomb that, uh, you know, when the in the story where they they put Jesus in the tomb and then they covered it with a rock and then they opened the rock and he was gone and that's the ascension. So this special place in Jerusalem, well, of course, there's the Wailing Wall, which is, you know, very dear to, to the Jewish people. And then, you know, the, there, there are also Muslims that, that are in Jerusalem. And then there are various kinds of Christians. So this little area, it's called Dome Dome of the Rock, I think. It is uh, a place where, well, you know, a lot of these religions didn't get along. And so that it, I think it's this little area is surrounded by soldiers. And at certain times of the day, the Jewish people can go in there and like hang out. And at other times of the day, Christians can come in. And other times of the day, you know, I, I think that the Holy Land has always been a place of battle. Like the Crusades were about getting getting back the Holy Land and you know, the, the Jews and Palestine and all that and the wars in Afghanistan, like the whole area has, in my opinion, has always been a war zone. Also, uh, it's not only a war zone. It's very interesting if you're into history as well. And whether you're Jewish or not, I think it's important to go and visit there as long as you have the chance. Yes, yes. Um, and you're being American. I know you you uh, value like good places to eat. So if, if, you, if you visit, you probably find lots of recommendation or a list of restaurants and affordable places to eat, right? Because I... I I heard that Mediterranean food is great. Yeah, it's great because the, the olives are grown in the sun and the tomatoes are grown in the sun. The olive oil is, is pressed. And when people ask me, well, what can I cook? Like Turkish and Italian and all that is along the Mediterranean, you know, area. So I learned to cook that growing up. My mother cooked it. Um, and my daughters can cook it. Yeah. Like, yeah, I, I like to eat. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I do, I do like to eat. And not, not only you, I, I was making the comparison because I, I don't know what is really food culture. I think it's very similar to what you have in Greece or in Turkey. I'm yes, it is. Here. Well, there's a lot of words that are that are the they're the same, like, you know, I don't know, like pide and yufka and pishmani and all, a lot of these, I don't know, a lot of these words are, have this, have some of the same, um, same roots. I'm yeah. oh, there's a poem, there's a poem that I'm looking, looking for. I love this. Oh my goodness. Train Mark has now responded to me. He has responded, it looks really good, even if it's burned. So that means that he is awake, he is alive. I'm so, so happy. Well, I just wanted to refer to this poem. <laughs> Go ahead. 
No, I was going to say that you, your mistake, uh, I mean, it wasn't uh, material. So you can relax now and just enjoy. Okay, I'm now relaxing. <laughs> you have an anxiety. <laughs> you just had an anxiety because he sent a message to Mark. He wasn't supposed to. I did. Now. My, my heart was jumping because he's responded. You know, he's told me he has very limited phone capabilities. and There's no power for days. And he's t using like a percentage of his power to tell me that he likes this picture that I sent, that I sent by mistake, but you know. Okay, back to William Blake. Blake has a poem that I love. William Blake is an English poet, 1757 to 1827. And they are, his poems are universally known. I hope you know about them. They're about slavery, racism, poverty, corruption, uh, mysticism. He has a song, uh, he has a poem called Jerusalem. It's one of the, if I ever go to London, because I want to go back to London and walk around London without the people that I was with the last time I was there. I would love to go to London. Okay, so this poem Jerusalem is the most fabulous poem. It's one of my favorite favorite poems. It's like so transcendent. It's it's it ends with, you know, bring me my bow of burning gold, bring me my arrows of desire. Bring me my spear, O clouds unfold, bring me my chariot of fire. So the song Chariots of Fire and the movie and the film took the title line from Blake's poem Jerusalem. It's like the most amazing poem. I am like really excited. Are you excited? Arrows of desire. Isn't I like that how he put the words, you know, arrows, arrows of desire. Well, you know, I wrote a poem. I think I wrote it with you and it's about uh, the moths of desire. Somebody uh, left to go Something about a Ferris wheel. And well, wasn't that about? Wasn't that about the Garden of Knives? No. Knives. Garden of and Knives. Were there not lies? Garden, lies or Garden of Knives, and also Garden lies. Of... The Forest of Lies. The Forest of Gump. Now back to huh. Jerusalem. <laughs> Jerusalem. Uh, nice yeah, I advise. Yeah, I'm gonna, I'm gonna go um, back and and look at that poem. It's a really, really, really good poem. Well, this Aleppo pine or the Jerusalem pine is quite an evocative image, and it it does sound nice. Jerusalem pine. Okay, can I can I can I can we go back a little bit? Because I uh, what exactly is the place supposed to be saying the the poem you just uh, read? Like that question oh. is, it's it's like asking, what is that book Anna Karenina about? <laughs> it's like it's like the, one of the core poems of William Blake, who wrote the Songs of Innocence, the Songs of Experience. He wrote. What year? What year was that? Can Can you tell me what year? I don't want to sound like a douchebag, but please, just what year? But you are. So his year, <laughs> his his time range. He was born 1757 through 1827. 
So he's, oh, that he's, was 300 years ago. Okay. But it was just like yesterday to me. It It's during that, you know, the, the beginning of the Industrial Revolution and the turn away from agricultural society into industrial society. And he's, you know, also, you know, little children re were used as chimney sweepers and like prostitution was like rampant and and the hypocrisy of the church. I mean, he was just such a brilliant person. He was also an engraver. He was also a mystic. I I really like William Blake as much as William as uh, Eric Clapton, but Eric Clapton was cuter, and so was uh, Chekhov. Okay, what is the poem about? What is the poem about? What do you think it's about? The title of it is Jerusalem. <laughs> Now, what would you know uh, you, when you read the title? No, I, the poem, I think there are a lot of, of some sort of references in that, that the rituals. Yeah, there's hundreds and, and, uh, of them. Yeah. Okay. So this is, so when you read the title of a poem, everybody comes and looks at the title and they already have some ideas in their mind. So they come to the poem and Blake is asking about the Lamb of God, who would be Jesus. And the, it has these lines in it. And did those feet in ancient time walk upon England's mountain green? And was the holy Lamb of God on England's pleasant pastures seen? And did the countenance divine shine forth upon our clouded hills? And was Jerusalem builded here among these dark satanic mills? Bring me my bow of desire, bring me my burning, my bow of burning gold. Bring me my arrows of desire, bring me my spear, O clouds unfold. Bring me my chariot of fire. I will not cease from mental fight, nor my sword sleep in my hand. So we have built Jerusalem in England's green and pleasant land. That's a well, fabulous poem. Yeah, there's lots and of he, England in it. Well, he was English, and he was looking at the corruption of, 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 of power, of people abusing women, of people abusing children, of people abusing money. And, you know, if, if England, let's say we, let's pretend like we're English, in living at that turn of the century. If we claim to be Christians, how can we treat our fellow man like this? You know, what if Jesus himself came and walked amid amidst London in those times? Wouldn't he be horrified to see the satanic mills? There, there's a there's something that you read on your channel of Russian folktales. It was a story about a country doctor or somebody goes to women visit this young girl who is the heiress of this industrial empire and he goes to visit and he looks out the window and it's like looking into the fires of hell there's all there's all this industrial smoke and pollution do you remember that story 
Yeah, I do. It's uh, it was written by Chekhov, who is a doctor as well, and he might be based it on his own experience. I'm not sure, but uh, I didn't really particularly like that story. But I remember that the yeah that went exactly like that, like you said. Well, you know, if we think about you know whether we're Christian or Muslim or Jewish or whatever we are, if we claim to be, let's just say, Christian, and we claim to believe in some of the teachings of Jesus, what if what if I say I'm a Catholic, I'm a Zen Catholic, and what if Jesus came and walked around with me in Dallas and saw the things I did and saw what was going on in Dallas and saw what kind of state Texas was, would he be horrified? So the closing stands of well, I, I, I don't know. It might it it might it might depend on where you are. Because our life is going for you right now. Because life is life fair or unfair? You see, or um, subjective experience. I don't know how to put that in words. Well, you know, you are responsible for your life. Like it is not I always. Enjoy... Not always. No, what I'm saying, the choices you make, like it is fun to pontificate and banter around ideas, but the hard work of living, I make choices every day, whether to steal or whether to lie or whether to do things that are unholy. And I, I make those choices. I'm the off, I am the author of my deeds. But what I liked about this ending of Blake's poem <clears throat> He says, I will not cease from mental fight, which means I'm not going to stop writing about these very, very serious topics, and nor shall my sword sleep in my hand. Blake's sword is his pen. He is a writer. So he is, he is writing about the things that are deeply of deep concern. He said, I will not cease from mental fight, nor shall my sword sleep in my hand till we have built Jerusalem in England's green and pleasant land. So, you know, England had, you know, beautiful rolling hills and little sheep wandering around and shepherds. And, and then they started covering it with, you know, industrialization. And to me, it's a very exciting poem because it speaks, it still speaks today, even though it was written so many years ago. You've read two stanzas. Is there anything else to it or it's just two? One, two, three, four. It starts off. And did those feet in ancient time walk upon England's mountains was it green? Four? Okay. So it's a small poem, short. Yes. Mm, and it was first pub it was first published uh it was first published in eighteen oh four. So um Another uh, writer, Hubert Perry, P-A-R-R-Y, took Blake's poem and turned it into a hymn, H-Y-M-N, to be sung at church. And Blake's poem is part of a larger work that he wrote that's called Milton, a poem. So Milton is also so it's like a poem embedded in something larger. And when when it was first published, not many people paid much attention to it, but over the years it has, uh, I mean, it, it has become 
you know, better, better known. And this one guy named Robert Bridges, he's the one who got Gerard Manley Hopkins poems into print long after Hopkins died. So Hopkins, we read the other day, something about the grandeur of God. And so this guy, Robert Bridges, also was busy trying to get Blake's uh, poetry published. So he would be considered an editor and, uh, and had access to printing presses. Yeah, well, but okay. Uh, what should we make of this? Uh, it's hard to say. Uh, <laughs> you know, I really feel like I talk so much. I feel so bad. No, no, no. I'm you speak. You, no, no, no. Don't apologize. You, you. I, what I was going to say that you're American. You read this poem. I'm Russian. I read this poem. But maybe I'm this not poem an American. Be I'm a. I'm a Texan. Go ahead. Yeah, but still, it influences your view or your. Uh, your take on the words that William Blake put into paper uh, and uh, into writing. Uh, and to, I, I'm trying to understand, uh, if we had Tony Clarence, your British friend, uh, yeah, and if he read this poem, would he, um, what would he think? W would he approach Tony, the, the way you yeah. and me? Yeah, Eddie, Tony, so, so I consider... Of course, we are all rooted in a specific country where we were born, but I didn't live most of my life in the United States. I lived most of my life outside of the United States, and I lived most of my life outside of Texas. But what I'm saying, Tony is also a citizen of the world. Now, I am not, I know he's been to many different museums. I know he's kind of been trapped in um, outside of London, you know, during the pandemic and caring for some of his family members. But, you know, Tony is very much an intellectual, uh, very much, he, he's into art and music and poetry. I think that Tony would find this poem a challenge to people living today that, that if we claim a certain membership to a certain society or to certain ideas, then we should try to live them. You know, it's not enough just to go sit in a church and stare at the wall. You know, you have to go out of the church and bring it into the world. So like Tony uh, knows British English and I know American English and British English, but I know Tony, from what I know of Tony, he, he would, he would like this poem. He would find it very challenging. Also, Mark Stevens, who who studied architecture, would also agree because he's also, even though he's kind of provincial, he, he lives in a small town, you know, he reads and he thinks and he wonders why is the world this way and, and why, why are there so many inequalities and, and why is politics so corrupt? So I think if you're kind of a citizen of the world, these concerns are timely. I love it. Well, we need, I love it. Yeah, we need we need to get um we need to get Tony Carnes as our next person to interview because um yeah I mean I, I would like to to ask him, you know, what what he thinks. What do you think? Yeah, that about would it? be great. That that would have been great if you could join us. Uh, yeah, we, I think we might need to go to London, and he's never shown me his apartment. 
No, you're I mean, getting personal. Because if you go and face meeting someone face to face, is a little bit different from having a conversation like long distance call, is it? Yeah, no, what I mean is like I post different pictures of Dallas, of White Rock Lake. I know that he doesn't live exactly in London, but he goes to the Tate. You know, he's studied art history. He does drawing, drawings. I That's what I'm saying. These are things that many people know about Tony anyhow. And uh, I don't know, you know, it, it's also interesting to me that uh, 1981, the film Chariots of Fire came out, you know, like music came out for Chariots of Fire. It it came out, the lines came from Blake's poem. So the poem was so rich that it inspired inspired so many um so many, you know, people. You know, also, we yeah. have I've just I go on. Yeah, I'm. I'm, uh, I'm. I'm thinking my ice cubes melted. I'm gonna take it to water. <laughs> Go ahead. <laughs> no, I was gonna say that we have. I've just recalled that I've been there ten years ago, in Moscow, in suburbs of Moscow. We have New Jerusalem Monastery, which is the exact copy of what they have in Jerusalem, like a medieval fortress, I think. Or really? I don't know. I don't remember okay. really. It's a church. It's a huge Kremlin-like building structure. Uh, yeah, I was told that it was founded in the 17th century to be an exact copy of what they have in Jerusalem. Isn't and that it's cool? in Moscow? Wow. Uh, two hours drive, I think, from Moscow. I think it's that a when, we hang up, when we hang up, you should go there. Can, can you do that? I hate heavy traffic, honestly. The traffic is awful, except like, in, a, in, a, in the weekend. But in the weekend, I go to my... Fallout shelter, also known as Dacha. So, and the traffic, traffic is also awful. But, but yeah, maybe we should visit it. It's beautiful. I remember it was beautiful, but that was like a long time ago. It looks stunning. Yeah. Well, I'm going to have to look up a little bit of information, information about that. I, I yeah, know you, that you, you should probably type something like New Jerusalem Monastery in Moscow. And you'll see some links maybe leading you to, to, to what I've just said. I don't know. Well, we've really covered, we, we are covering a lot. We've talked about ice cream and mastic and resin and Aleppo and the, the tomb and a poem. I just remember that I had just remembered that I was on a beach. B-E-A-C-H. On the Aegean coast of Turkey, and this was some many years ago, where people <clears throat> people used to have little walk. They would have these things called Walkman, where you you like walk around. It's not a transistor radio, but some kind of like radio, and it had like a little tape deck player. And it had batteries in it. This was like ancient technology. But I remember I was listening to the song. Jerusalem as sung by Judy Collins and it it was the sung version of William Blake's poem and I was just sitting there looking out into the waters of the Aegean and I literally got chills when I when I heard it what what is the name of this again New Jerusalem Monastery 
Yeah, I think it's called, I remember New Jerusalem because it's supposed to be a copy of the old one. So if you Google New Jerusalem, I'm sure you'll find it. Just add some Russia or it's monastery. It's fabulous. Absolutely do you, do you, beautiful. Are you seeing yeah, something? It. I'm seeing everything. It's in the Ostrinsky district of Moscow. Yeah, something like that. I even yeah, have it, the street address if you want to. It's going to be open till 6. What time is it your time? <laughs> 2 p.m. What time is it right now? Okay, you got four hours. Yeah, but I'm not going. You got four hours. <laughs> I was going to, but it now is. I'm not. <laughs> It was founded in 1656 by Patriarch Nikon. Nikon. He, yeah. Do, do they have the patriarch? Do they, yeah. Do they say what's what is his copy of? Am I right when saying that this is copy of monastery they have in Jerusalem? Yes. I knew it. Yeah, this is amazing. Yeah, it took its name from the concept, and it's the site was chosen for its resemblance to the Holy Land. The river Istra represents the Jordan. The buildings represent the sacred space, the holy places of Jerusalem. At the time, Patriarch Nikon, or I guess we would say Nikon, because it's like Nikon camera, he was recruiting monks of non-religious origin to populate the monastery. It was supposed to represent the, the multinational orthodoxy of the heavenly Jerusalem. So the idea is that in the Jerusalem of the heavens, like the heavenly Jerusalem, there's going to be people from all around the world. And when this you know, patriarch died, he had this friend named Shu Sheren and a bunch of other rich people and they made a huge library. I love libraries. This is where you're going to work. This is your next job. Remember how you want to be <laughs> a librarian? No, I'm serious. I'm isn't serious. Isn't that interesting how we jumped from Jerusalem Pine to such many new topics and new things? I didn't know about William Blake poem. You didn't know about New Jerusalem Monastery in Moscow. And now I do, and so do you. I know, and I, it's just great. And also... I think Mark wants to come, and so does Tony. We just have to send them tickets. I'm, I'm kind of joking, but I'm not. It's really, really interesting. There's a huge library that was, um, wow, 13,000 no, The point is that we, you and me, we learn something new every day, right? We do. Yeah, the Germans in 1947, excuse me, Germans, they ransacked the library. Germans... No, no, that was so bad. Only it, it wasn't 1947, because in 1947 they weren't here already. It was probably 1941. 1941. It was 1941. Yeah, like mm -hmm. But then they restored it, and in 1959 it was it was uh, restored. It is so beautiful. Wow, it's a it has a yeah, huge. Yeah, we, we learn of new things every day. Well, that's really great. Yeah. And, <laughs> oh my and, God. And, in 2009, the president, Dimitri, what's his name, signed a decree, let's restore and renovate the monastery. And everyone said, yeah, yeah I let's was there do before that. it. I was there before it was restored, so it looked exactly as Germans left it. <laughs> now it's beautiful, but I've been, haven't been there for 20 years, I don't know, 15. 
Well, uh, at the time, they um, they had a federal budget, and uh, this prime minister that was in Putin's cabinet, Viktor Zubkov, thought it was going to cost eh, anywhere between 13 to 20 billion Russian rubles. That's like a... Yeah, but, but the point is, you build something like exact the exact copy of what you have in Israel, you build it in Moscow. I mean, it's like you can build it in the U.S. if you want to, but but not exactly this monastery. You, you can choose any other yeah, uh, place. Yeah. Uh, wouldn't that be great? Like exact same copy. Uh, no, they do. The... They do things like that. For example, in Manhattan, you can get on a bus and go up to the Hudson River. There, the Metropolitan Museum, the Met, is in you know, the Guggenheim, the Met, everything everything is in downtown Manhattan, but you get on a bus and you go up to the Hudson River and there is a replica of the Cloisters Museum in France. And and the Met owns all of these medieval manuscripts, medieval sculptures, medieval tapestries, like the lady with the unicorn. So instead of housing the medieval collection down in Manhattan, they built a replica of the cloisters in, it's about a 35 minute bus ride out of Manhattan. I love it. And I took my, uh, I've been there with, with uh, the daughter that was learning, the one that became a doctor, I, I she was learning French. And so we went to this, uh, the cloisters museum and we decided that when we got there, we were only going to speak French. But her French was a little bit limited, and my French was well, a little bit rusty. But they had, oh, an in, in, interior courtyard, and they had fountains, and they had the, the famous tapestries. And I know that <laughs> we had these few phrases we would use, like, we are three people. Like, you know, the two my two daughters and me were eating dinner. We would say, nous sommes trois. We are three. Nous sommes trois. Or... Passez-moi le petit pois, which means please pass me the peas. These are expressions you learn in beginning French class. But we had also learned this expression, passez-moi le pomplemousse, which means pass me the grapefruit. So I remember I was with my daughter in the Cloisters Museum, and we were sitting in their little cafe, and <laughs> she, she said, no. Nous ne sommes pas trois, nous sommes deux, which means we are not three, we are two. And then I said to her, passez-moi le petit pois, which means please pass me the peas. But we weren't even having peas, we were having, uh, we were having like croissants and coffee. But, you know, traveling to other places to see museums, you can just learn so much. Well, we are on it. You mentioned traveling to other places. I thought of London because they re not it's not replica. They I guess they rebuild the Shakespeare's Globe. They call it Globe. Is a is a theater yeah. how theater how it was five hundred years ago. They they build a new one and uh, yeah, the Globe. Uh, I don't London's Bankside. I don't remember the address at the Bank of River. I think I've been there once. Uh, yeah, it's based on the original plans of how it was at Shakespeare's time. Uh, well, it they, looked old. They, well, they have, in, at the University of Texas in Austin, they have an English department which studies world literature. And maybe 30, 40 years ago, somebody endowed or gave money 
to the university for the express purpose of building a replica of the Globe Theater in another small town so that people, students could go and study Shakespeare for the summer. And it's called Shakespeare in Winedale. So maybe about 30 or 40 miles outside of Austin is Winedale. And for, oh, I don't know, at least 40 or 50 years, instead of just taking a, like when I studied Shakespeare, I took it in a university building in the basement and I just was studying Shakespeare out of a book. But if you want to apply to study Shakespeare at Wyndale, you get college credit and you live there and you have uh, period costumes that you wear. So instead of getting up and like putting on your blue jeans and your sweatshirt, you're assigned to these little dormitories and then you put on a play. So maybe one summer, the, the play is The Tempest, and maybe another summer the play is uh, Much Ado About Nothing or Lear. But I think this idea of building replicas, I, I, had, forgotten about, I had forgotten about that. But Shakespeare in Wynedale is something that came from somebody thinking, well, this would be a good way to spend my money. Let me just give some money to the University of Texas. But yeah, what did I, you see? Go ahead. No, I didn't get to see any show in it, or because it's just been built. I was inside, but I uh, wasn't a spectac any spectacle. Uh, I, I think that the, when people make replicas of Shakespeare's Globe uh, all over the world, it's great, especially for the English-speaking community or, or population, because uh, well, it's great if you're a Shakespeare fan, and it's great even if you're not a Shakespeare fan, because you get to know something new. Um, like yes, Chekhov, I don't know why I heard that Chekhov is popular in Japan. Maybe I'm mistaken, but that's what I heard. I have no idea why. Well, because he is a he is anybody who's serious about literature, they'll know Chekhov, they'll know Proust, they'll know Borges, they'll know Shakespeare, they'll know Gabriel Garcia Marquez. So to say, I wonder why Japanese people like Chekhov. Well, because Chekhov is also dealing with these universal themes. It'd be like saying, well, I wonder why these people like these waltzes, like these old Russian waltzes. Well, the waltz has been around for how many years? And like, well, you like the waltz, right? Yeah, I like the music, um, but I don't dance. Well, <laughs> maybe, maybe you should. Does that qualify for, for, for love, loving the waltz? <laughs> No, no, I think it does, you know, but I think when you're sitting in the dark and drinking and listening to the walls, perhaps you're dancing in your mind. <laughs> when no one's watching. Yeah, absolutely. Because I told you I'm alone, but not lonely. I have this imaginary friends and a bottle of life next to me. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I know. I know what you mean. It's, uh, well, you know, um, talking about imaginary friends, I think it, and, um, uh, Mark Stevens is such a talented fellow. He told me a, a year or two ago about a, a, a person that he saw in his dream, and he started drawing this person and doing some digital art. I think her name was Alicia or Alyssa, something like that. But I think, you know, uh, dreams and drinking uh, produce a lot of 
are they are outlets for a lot of creativity and also you know i i i think that people know that tony carnes likes to drink he he knows that i like to drink so you know probably people well, i like in to drink Japan do, like do they know drink. that i like to drink as well yeah i, I want I, everybody to know I that think, i like to drink <laughs> i think so also david anton likes to drink you know uh, we, why we don't have... you get him? Why don't you get him on our channel and ask him for a, a joint interview? Well, he's leaving. Kind of he's he's leaving today with his dad to go down to Port Aransas because his aunt, one of his aunts, is having a birthday party, and they're okay. all going down to the beach to drink and to run on the beach and to barbecue and to drink beer. So he's he's not available. And the next weekend he's going to New Braunfels for his grandson Otto's birthday. Otto, isn't that a Texas name? You might wonder why would a Texan be named Otto? You tell me. Well, because that's the Texas Hill Country that was uh, settled by Germans and Poles and. Um, uh, Otto's father is in finance and his mother is in healthcare. And he's this great little kid with like the shocking blonde hair and has the best smile and he loves to run. And, and his name is Otto. And do you know what Otto spells is spelled backwards? Uh, no. O-T-T-O. If you spell it backwards, you, you, you want to make me do math? O T T O backwards is O T T O. Okay. It's okay. It's okay. I I think we might be ready for our medication now. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So that was a great episode, right? Because um. As it was. Yeah, and I didn't even know that I had recalled all that stuff about Blake or the the Marash ice cream, and I learned about the New Jerusalem monastery. I mean, I feel like well, I want to be. I feel like I want to be a subscriber. <laughs> uh, well, you have to like solve the riddle first, because uh, uh, and get the invite. Yeah, we. Uh, That's right. <laughs> That's right. Well, we, yeah, we thank our subscribers for listening and some of our new subscribers, Christian and also Ralphie Boy. And I don't know, I heard that Raj might be back. Raj, who goes by something, Peters. Raj might be, might, Raj might be out there. I'm not, not really sure. Not really sure if Jonas is out there. Tatiana, who lives in the end place in Russia. What's it called? Nazmoragorov. What's it called? I don't know. I don't know Tatiana. We've never known each other, but uh, no. This okay, what's the name I of that? What's the name of that state? Because it ends like like Nizhny yeah, It's like Lower Manhattan. It's equivalent of Lower Manhattan, but it's Lower stands for Nizhny and Novgorod is a new town. Does that make any sense? Because uh, that's uh, how yeah. it translates. I'm not really yeah, sure if she's. I'm not sure if she's subscribing or just dancing around the concept of subscribing. But um, shout out to. But all let's of hope our... for the best. Yes, for all of us. 
Yes, and, and also lately we invite all English-speaking people to call in and join to our conversations uh, for the better of the humanity. That's a great closing. By humanity, I mean us. 